The book of Romans, as many of us know, is one of the most important books in the Bible. In its 16 chapters, the Apostle Paul boils down the essence of, of what it means to, to believe in Christ and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, he talks about from the very beginning up till chapter 12 here how we sin against God. He talks about salvation that comes from God. And he talks about our sanctification by God and the sovereignty of God. And finally we come to chapter 12 and he talks about our service to God. He sums it all up in these ways and, and many theologians point to that and say what Paul has done in the book of Romans as he does in many of his letters is he moves from the indicative to the imperative. In other words, he talks about who we are in Christ, that, that is the indicative, what God has done, and then he follows that up with the imperative, what we are supposed to do. And so in chapters 1 through 11, he talks about what God has given us, in chapters 12 through 16, what we are then to give God. And this is all in response. As we think about worship, worship is a response to God. First of all, Paul shows us in verse 1 that worship must be a theological response. A theological response. Understanding who God is and what God has done. In verse 1 he starts out by saying, Therefore, and as you study the scripture with me long enough, you'll know that that word therefore is one that we should not pass up until we know what it is there for. In other words, he says, in light of what I have just said, this is true. He moves from the indicative, what God has done for us, therefore, we should do this. And then comes the imperative. Therefore links this text to what took place prior. In fact, it takes... It connects what we see here with everything he has said up to this point. Everything about sin and salvation and sanctification and sovereignty, everything that he has talked about in his letter to this point, it funnels us to this text today. It must be worship a theological response because of God's majesty, his majesty as Paul brings chapters 1 through 11 to a, a conclusion, we see these words in verses 33 through 36. He, he erupts in spontaneous praise. It's almost as if he's writing these things and he's just so overcome and so overwhelmed by everything that God has revealed to him that he says these words, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen so Paul thinks about the the majesty of God this this doxology this word of glory ascribed to God he deserves our worship because of his majesty, but also because of his mercy. His mercy. Paul talks about that in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What does he mean by the mercies of God? Well, it, it, it harkens back to everything he has said in the book of Romans. He has talked about the fact that you and I are born sinners. That you and I have rebelled against God because of our desires and our hearts 
We have acted out on those desires and we have done and thought and said things that we ought not to have. And there are things that God deserves from us that we have held back from God. Paul points that out and says that we have sinned against the holy God and the wages of sin is death. You and I deserve to be punished by God for our rebellion. But then he goes on to say that God demonstrates his love for us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has given us something in the sacrifice of Jesus that we did not deserve. And God says, even though that we deserve condemnation, he has provided a, a, a path to him through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be forgiven of our sins, so that his justice against sin would be meted out on the cross as Jesus bore your punishment and mine. And not only would his justice be on display, but also his mercy on display as Christ was punished in your stead. That he was a substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. That's the mercy of God. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve eternal life and abundant life and all the blessings that flow from that. None of us deserve that. But God has provided that for us anyway if we come to Him on His terms. It is through His Son, Jesus. That's what Paul means by the mercies of God. He has spared us from His wrath and He has poured out on us His love if we humble ourselves and trust in the method and the man He has provided. And that is Jesus Christ. Worship because of God's mercy. Now, when you're building a, a house or you're building a building, what do you build first? Do you build the roof? No, you, you build the foundation. You lay the foundation first because without the foundation and the walls, the roof has nothing on which to rest and stand upon. Many people think of Christianity as a set of moral obligations. The, the do-nots and the do's, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt. And, and they think that Christianity is all about uh, uh, keeping these set of, of rules and, and about being a good person and following these, these moral codes. But without the foundation, those moral teachings have nothing on which to stand. So that's why Paul spent 11 chapters laying that foundation of the gospel. We are called to be moral. We are called to serve God because of who God is and what God has done. And then in response to that, now comes these imperative commands of what we are to give God because of who He is. The indicative and the imperative always go together, but they always go in that order. The foundation first, then we have the cause to do what we are called to do. Worship must be a theological response. It must be a relational response. Relational. It's, it's about our connection to God, first of all, but also our connection to His people. We see the fatherhood of God on display in the gospel. The fatherhood of God. This is Father's Day, as we've pointed out, and we recognize all the fathers in our church, but we also recognize the fatherhood of God, but you know it is only Christians that can call God their heavenly father. Not everyone has that privilege, but Jesus points out in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, but as many as received him, 
As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Sometimes you'll hear people and in, in seemingly well-meaning say that we are all God's children. And in some sense, that's true. God has created each and every one of us. God provides for all of our needs through, through common grace. But Jesus himself said, to those who have received Christ, to those who believe and put their faith in Jesus, it is only those whom God gave the right to become children of God. Without that faith in receiving, we are children of the devil, according to Jesus in John chapter 8 the fatherhood of God, and therefore we respond to him as his children. We also see the brotherhood of Christians because Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren. Brethren. What does that mean, brethren? Paul's not just talking about his bros. He's talking about his bros in Christ. When he talks about brethren, he's talking about what? Saved folks. Whether you want to call brethren and, and sisters. Christians. When Paul is talking about brethren, he's talking about those who have also put their faith in Jesus. If God is my father and if by faith, and if God is your father by faith, guess what? We're part of the same family of God. If we have a common father, then you and I, we're brothers, we're sisters. It doesn't matter our race or gender or socioeconomic background. If you have faith in Jesus and been saved by the blood of the Lamb, then I have too, then we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So what Paul is saying in, in, in giving this, this imperative here to worship God, it must come from Christians. You cannot worship God the way God deserves to be worshipped. In fact, you cannot truly worship God at all unless you're saved. You can go through the motions and you can offer songs and you can give money and, and you can do all these things in the name of, of Jesus. But if you are not saved, if you are not a brother in Christ, you cannot worship God. Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's only brethren in Christ who understand and embrace the mercies of God. A lost person does not embrace the mercies of God and will not respond to the mercies of God in worship. Paul says, the brethren, and he says, I urge you, or I beseech you, I, I strongly encourage you. you know, it, it's Paul encouraging with authority. He's, he's not necessarily telling them, you must do this. He's telling them, it's in your best interest to do that. We'll, we'll do that sometimes as parents, won't we? We'll come by and you'll, we'll say, you know, if you know what's good for you, you'll, you'll clean your room. <laughs> it's in your best interest to, to put away the dishes. In other words, we're saying, clean your room. Do your dishes. But we're not coming at it from a command standpoint. We're coming at it of, let me tell you what you should do. And there is a tinge of authority in there also, isn't it? That's what Paul's doing. And, and as, a, as a minister, as a pastor, there's sometimes we're called to do the same thing. As, as a pastor with the authority of Scripture, if I see you doing something you should not be doing, I have every right and responsibility to confront you in that. But I may come, in as, come at it like Paul does and say, you know what, uh, I think you should stop that. Or, you know what, it would be in your best interest if you would start doing this instead. 
You know, by the authority of Scripture, a pastor has the responsibility to do that. And Paul here is acting parental or pastoral and urging you. I strongly encourage you, you need to do this. You ought to do this, Paul is saying. You know, as children, oftentimes we want to impress our parents. I remember when I was playing Little League basketball. One time I was in the backyard with Dad and we were practicing and we were shooting some hoops. And I remember asking him, I said, Dad, what's your favorite basketball shot? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, is it, is it a jump shot or a, a hook shot or a, a layup? Dad, what's your favorite basketball shot? And he said, I don't know, son. Why are you asking me that? And I said, because when I'm in the game, I want to shoot your favorite shot to show you how much uh, I want to honor you. And I'm so glad he didn't say it was the dunk shot because, you know, there might have been a little problem with that. But the point of the matter is, you know, as children, we, we want our parents, uh, we want them to know that we respect them. We want them to know that, that we love and appreciate them. And we want to impress them. And as God is our, with our, as God is our Heavenly Father, we should want to respond in such a way that God knows how much we honor Him and how much we appreciate Him. Worship must be a relational response. It must be a sacrificial response. Sacrificial. Paul says in verse 1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present. Present. It's an Old Testament term that, that means to bring an offering. As, as people would come to the temple to worship God, they would, they would bring their, their animal sacrifice or their grain offering, and they would present that to the priest, to present that to God. And Paul's saying, in, 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 in light of what God has done for you because of His mercy, you should present an offering to God. And what is it we are called to present? He says, present your bodies. That means your whole self. That means everything that makes you, you, you are to present that to God. It's as if that was the, the altar there and you just lay yourself on it and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Presenting your entire being to God, first of all, as a living sacrifice. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Some have contrasted it to say, well... You know, the, the sacrifice in the Old Testament, you brought an animal there as a sacrifice, it was dead. They, you killed it. But in contrast, we as Christians, we, we are called to be a sacrifice that, that's not physically dead. We go on living physically, but even more so, we are alive spiritually in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you have been made alive in Christ. So a living sacrifice is one that comes from a, a live soul, a Christian soul. It's also living because we're no longer obligated to, to give a dead sacrifice, are we? Why? Because Christ died. As the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, Christ died once and for all. We're not called to give a, a dead sacrifice anymore. A, a, a sacrifice of death was already presented and we come as a living sacrifice because of the death of Christ in our, in our place. We come to Him a living sacrifice, but also a loving sacrifice. He says it is holy and acceptable. A holy sacrifice, one set apart for God, one acceptable, one that is well-pleasing to God. How can you, as a Christian, 
give a sacrifice that God approves of? The answer to that is by faith. By faith. We read that of Abel in Hebrews chapter 11, 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. It was by faith. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. It is through faith that we honor God. We offer God something that is holy and acceptable. It's by trusting in God, so much so that we will do what God has called us to do. That's faith. That's responding in faith. That's how we offer God something holy and acceptable. Paul says it's a spiritual service, a a reasonable, a rational service because God deserves it. In other words, we're responding to God and giving our appreciation to Him for what He's done for us. God, You gave me Your mercy in Christ Jesus, so Lord, my response is, I give You everything I have. Everything I am is Yours. A sacrifice, Lord, my desires, my plans, my agendas, my wants, and God, I sacrifice all that. I give it to You, Lord so that you may have your way with me. That's a response of sacrifice. It's a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. It's a loving sacrifice, one of adoration. Paul says, a spiritual service of worship. We've already said worship is not confined to the sanctuary. Worship is not confined to what takes place in, in public. It's also a private thing. We worship God every second of every day at least we ought to both the major things and the mundane things are seen as a act of worship to God whether you're at work or at play whether you're at school or at home wherever you are we are called to do everything to the glory of God that is our reasonable worship that is our response of worship because of what God has done we give God everything all the time we commit ourselves to God you know there is a difference between contribution and commitment to a cause you can contribute to a cause or you can commit to a cause if you don't believe me ask the chicken and the pig when it comes to breakfast you see the chicken makes a contribution through the egg the pig gives a whole commitment via sausage and bacon and ham and all that good stuff. There's a difference between contributing to something and being committed to something. A lot of so-called Christians in churches today, they contribute something to God. They contribute worship to God. I'll give him parts or some, but nothing that costs me that much. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. I don't want to be over the top. I'll, I'll give a little bit of worship here and there. It's like the chicken giving the egg, but we are called to sacrifice our all to God. We're called to commit our entire lives to God. Present your bodies to God as a sacrifice. Do you really want to offer God something less than the best? Do you really want to come to God and say, God, this is what I think of you. This is, this is what you deserve, God, and give Him something less than your best? Are you kidding me? Look at what he's done for you. And you can't give him your all? Shame on us. A sacrificial response is sacrificial because it costs us something. 
our entire being we give to God worship must also be a moral response a moral response he says in verse 2 do not be conformed to this world we are not conformed to this world that word there conformed it is an interesting word it's an imperative it's a command he's moved from the suggestion here to the flat out command don't be conformed and if you are conformed to the world you are disobeying God that's sin it's an imperative command it's also a passive verb that means it's something that's done to you do not allow the world to conform you don't allow it to happen it's a present tense verb it means it's ongoing it means you don't just say well the other day I didn't conform to the world I'm good now I got a free pass I can do whatever I want to no it's ongoing it's continual it's a, it's a struggle that never ends for us in this lifetime we are not to be conformed but our old nature it wants to be conformed to this world Paul says don't do it don't do it conformed it's like being squeezed and being shaped is to be conformed y'all know what this is in this little yellow container here you know it's play-doh if you were a child or been around children long enough to know you know this is play-doh and you know what it does and, and the lid here is, 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 is pink what are the odds you think what's inside here actually matches the lid you know if you've been around kids long enough the odds are pretty slim and sure enough you open it up and it's not pink it's kind of a grayish brownish greenish uh, conglomeration there it looks almost like a brain or something but but to conform it means you can take this play-doh and you can squeeze it and you can press it and and you can roll it and you can take one of those those cookie cutter things and, and make shapes or or run it through one of those machines where you, you grind it out, you, you twist the handle, and, and, it, and it comes out in a, in a different shape. And Paul says, as Christians, we can allow, if we're not careful, the world to come in and shape and mold us like this Play-Doh. And he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because the world, according to Scripture, the world in its current system is evil. The world is under the sway of the wicked one, the devil. And why would we want the devil to come and shape us as Christians and mold us as believers? We don't want that. At least we shouldn't want that. So Paul says don't allow the enemy, don't allow the world, don't allow culture and society to shape who you are as a Christian. Don't allow society to shape the way you think and the way you act and say, well, God's word says this is sin, but according to the world today, there's no such thing as sin. God's word says I should not do this, but culture tells me, hey, it's okay. Go right ahead. Don't be conformed and squeezed by the world. In fact, we're, we're called to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. We're supposed to be shaped to look like Jesus, not this wicked world. Don't be, cons don't be conformed to the world. He says, but be transformed by the word transformed by the renewing of the mind the way we think and transformed like it's imperative it's a command we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind if you're not being transformed you're being disobedient and that's sin to not be transformed transformed is also a a passive verb that means that it's something we are to allow God to do God transforms us by his word via the Holy Spirit we get into the scriptures and we understand who God is and what God expects and the Holy Spirit applies that to our lives and we become transformed and changed. Transformed. It's, 
It's also a present tense verb, something that's supposed to to continue happening, keep happening, transform over and over again. Word transform, we get our English word metamorphosis from that. You know, that's when a tadpole turns into a frog or a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It's the same creature, it's just radically changed. It's the same word that is used of Jesus in the transfiguration where he was, he was transfigured, he was changed in his appearance before his disciples on that mountain. It says we are called to be the same individual but just radically different in the way we live our lives. He says that's through the renewing of your mind. What, what we do is, is impacted by how we think. And if, we are, if our thinking is off, and so will our actions be. Our beliefs affect our behaviors. If we believe we're descended from monkeys and by a, a cosmic accident, that'll affect the way we behave, will it not? But if we believe that we were created in the image of God and believe that God is a holy God and a just God, that will vastly impact the way we behave. Beliefs affect behaviors. And Paul says, be transformed constantly by the renewing of your mind. It's like a grandfather clock that needs to continually be wound. Because after time, guess what? You know, it, stops, it slows down. It stops keeping time. We need to be continually wound up by God, by His Word, by the Spirit, so that we might worship Him accordingly. We are sanctified, made holy, by focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider these verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed continually into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Proverbs 23.7, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. As a man thinketh within his heart, so is he. The way we think impacts who we are. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Following God involves renewing, refreshing continually our minds. Finally, Colossians 3, 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Spoiler alert, that's what we're in tonight. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're going to talk about what that means. Nevertheless, our focus should be on Christ and not on the world. And allowing the world to shape us, transform us. There's, there's always movies, it seems, coming out about aliens and how aliens are invading the earth. And there's an Independence Day sequel getting ready to come out, or maybe it's come out, and and, and people are fascinated by, by outside invaders coming to the earth. But you know what Paul is saying? Don't be conformed to this world and its thinking, but allow the Spirit to come in and transform us by the renewing of our mind. And that's what we are saying as Christians, is Holy Spirit, come and invade this world by renewing our minds, by reshaping the way we think, so that we might present ourselves in a way that we ought to. We're praying for an invasion from heaven to come and radically transform us from the inside out. Worship must be a moral response to God. Finally, it must be a practical response. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that. 
so that. It's a purpose clause, or it's the result of being renewed in our mind. What, why do we want to do that? So that the outcome may be, if you are renewed in your mind by God and His Word, the outcome is so that you may prove what the will of God is. God's will is proven. Proven. That word there comes is the result of a process of, of examining. It's a process of testing that happens over time. As you walk with the Lord daily, you submit your life to Him daily, you have your mind renewed by His Word daily, you come to learn by experience the will of God. Some people look at the will of God as some mysterious thing that we can never understand. Now what is the will of God? The will of God is that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. The will of God is you would offer Him your bodies in acceptable worship to Him. That's the will of God. And the more we walk with Him, the more we prove exactly what is His will and how that fleshes out in your specific life in individual settings. God's will is proven. God's will is pleasing. It's pleasing. It's, it's acceptable. It's the same word He used in verse 1. Our bodies given to God and sacrifice acceptable to God, well-pleasing to God. Our worship through renewing our minds, we see that God's will is good and acceptable. Now understand it's from His perspective. From our perspective, God's will is not always pleasing. It's not as if we're saying, all right, I lost my job today, God. Yes, I'm so well pleased. Although for some of you all that may be, it may be pleasing. Or it's not, you know, stage four diagnosis. Yes, I'm well pleased, God, with your will. It's not always the case from our perspective, is it? But worship is when we begin to understand that God's will is not our will. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways, His thoughts are much higher than ours. We have a good, good Father who's trustworthy and dependable. And even from our perspective, His will is not pleasing. If we have our minds renewed, we come to understand and embrace that God's will is always pleasing from His perspective takes a strong degree of faith to get to that point but that only comes through continually proving God's will through constantly renewing your mind so that God's will and your will begin to conform to one another not the world's perspective say oh why would a loving God allow that to happen but a divine perspective if God's in control he's got this I trust him God's will is pleasing and finally God's will is perfect it's good and acceptable well pleasing and perfect God's will is perfect it means it's complete it accomplishes everything that God wants it to your will is not perfect why because you like me are a sinner, are a sinner. we have conflicting wills and, and conflicting natures within ourselves your will is not always perfect, but God's will always is. It always accomplishes what He desires. His glorious desires are always accomplished, whether we acknowledge it or not. It's in our best interest if we have our minds renewed so that we might understand that God's will is perfect. And we submit to that will. We are sanctified. We are shaped 
We are being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's will for your life. Sanctification. And that comes by humbly submitting yourself, having your mind constantly renewed so that you might worship God. As Paul has pointed out to us, we are called to give our whole selves to God. That's in response to God's mercies towards us in Christ Jesus. If you are seeking to administer CPR to someone, if they have an unresponsive heart, either they are in danger or they are dead. And we think about worship. Do we try to worship God with a heart that's unresponsive? If you are trying to offer God worship from an unresponsive heart, you are in danger or you are spiritually dead. Because if you are alive in Christ, your worship to God will always be responsive. Your heart responds to God's mercy and you worship Him accordingly. Worship is a matter of the heart. Listen to this quote by Ron Owens from his book, Return to Worship. He says, If I understand Scripture correctly... A congregation of monotones whose hearts are right before the Lord will sound more beautiful to His ears than the four-part harmony of well-trained voices whose offering ceases with their song. What we do speaks louder than what we say or sing. Worship is a matter of the heart a heart that responds to God's mercies. In fact, saving faith results in serving faith. We serve God in worship because of what He's done to save us. In other words, you give your all to the one who gave His all to you. That is your reasonable, rational, acceptable worship to God. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves this morning and come before you in Jesus' name. and. We acknowledge, Lord, as the Scripture says, that you are holy and you are righteous. Father, we are not as sinners. Therefore, Lord, we need your mercy. If we are to be saved, if we are to be transformed, if we are to be forgiven and have eternal abundant life, then God, it must come from you and your mercy or it won't come at all. So God, we acknowledge ourselves acknowledge you today God and we present ourselves our whole being today God is on the altar of worship Father if we're holding back if we're offering you anything less than the best then God forgive us Lord radically transform the way we as a church think about worship it's not just about the music the style of music. It's not just about the stained glass windows. Lord, it's not just about coming together to pray and give offerings and listen to a sermon. Worship God includes all that and everything else. 
So, God, as we leave this sanctuary today, we go outside to the mission field, God, I pray we live in such a way that you are pleased with our lifestyle. You are pleased with our lips. You are pleased with our hearts, God, our minds. And, Lord, if you're not, I pray you would reveal that to us today. Holy Spirit, as you are moving in this church today, you are speaking to hearts. Lord, we are called to surrender all to you, God. Because you've given your all to us. You've given your only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Only through faith. Only through saving, trusting faith surrendering faith. Lord, maybe somebody here today, Lord, the light bulb has gone off. They have now seen through Your Word, Lord, what they are called to do. They're trying to offer You worship from a heart that's dead and unresponsive, God. Make them alive in Christ so that they may truly worship. Maybe somebody's lifestyle does not reflect what they claim and profess here in this church week to week oh God touch our hearts don't let us leave this place today the same as when we came in you deserve so much better than that Lord have your way with us God have your way we pray in Jesus name Amen I'd like to ask for you to stand as we sing this hymn of decision